I was, uh, I was born in a town called Orange, which is named after a fruit, potentially. Kids always thought it was funny when we used to go through banana years ago, but then we were from near Orange, which is, anyway, keep the, keep the fruit scene theme. Now, Orange is in the middle of New South Wales, and I went to school there for a few years, still got relos there, and it was our main big town uh, growing up. Now, the main street of Orange is a long street uh, with four or five sets of traffic lights in it, heading from the west as kind of a big uh, downhill. And um, there's a few pubs up one end, up on the high, high end of the main street, and then there's a heap of pubs down the bottom end uh, of the street as well. And a couple of traffic light sets close to those pubs at the bottom, which you'll understand the significance of in a minute. So what our blokes used to do before the bypass went in and they want to go out in the town and get on the source for the night, instead of walking between pubs, they'd wait, and I had lots of mates that used to do this, they'd wait at the traffic lights and get on the back of a truck. So a big truck with a container on the back and hang on on the back. The truck would putt down to the end, uh, stop the traffic lights down the other end of the street, they'd get off at the pub, save themselves a taxi fare or a drunken stroll. The only problem was this. One night, the brother of a bloke I know did this with another fella, and the truck didn't stop at the lights at the bottom. They got out of town. One of those fellas had been involved in rodeos, rodeo, and uh, he was pretty good at rolling. So when they realised the truck was not going to stop and they left town, he bailed. He jumped off and he rolled um, and he survived. The other fella, the, the brother of the bloke I know, he jumped off and he was killed. I've got a question for you. The bloke that was killed that night, was he any worse than the fella who survived? Was he any worse than the other blokes in the pub that night? Was he a worse sinner than the people that didn't even go to the pub that night? Was he a worse sinner than the people in Orange that never went to the pub? A woman that struck down with cancer many years before her time should have passed. Is she any worse of a sinner than the other people that aren't struck down? A baby that tragically dies as a toddler, are they any worse than the other babies that didn't die? See, these questions are the questions Jesus answers in the passage of the Bible that we're going to look at today. And if you've got your pew Bible there, open up to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, which I think is on page 872 of the Pew Bibles. Luke chapter 13. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tire of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable, a man had planted a fig tree, planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? 
So the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. When, uh, when people used to come to Jesus with a statement or a question, they used to come for different reasons. Some people used to come to him because they were really interested in finding more about this teacher, finding out more about what he had to say or perhaps watching a miracle. Some people came wanting to corner him, thinking they were smarter than themselves. That's like trying to argue with your wife. It just doesn't work. You've got no chance of winning. No chance at all. Because she's more superior and a better arguer. Definitely. Correct. Anyway, people come with an agenda. Okay? Now, the people that came to Jesus this day, they came with an agenda. And the agenda they came with was a really common view in those days that bad things happen to bad people. And good things happen to good people. So if something bad happens to you, it is because you are bad and you deserve it. Or if something good happens to you, it is because you are good and you deserve it. But Jesus will have none of this. Now that idea that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people, that's called retributive theology. It's the idea that God is this God of retribution. That he's like a big bloke in the sky that just wants to smash someone if they step out of line. But if you stay in line, you'll get all good things. That's kind of that idea. And that idea is very, it's actually very various forms of it, very common in our culture today. It is very common in Buddhism and Eastern religions, which essentially say that this life is a journey from another life. So if you are a baby of two years of age that gets cancer and die, it happens because you deserve it. Now, I can't stomach that. But that's the view. That's the idea that it happens because you deserve it. That somehow you are inferior to everyone else. And the people who have a good life and get really rich and really famous and everything goes right, it's because they're good people. But that's just not right. Now, Jesus asks a question. They come and they tell him a story and he asks a question and gives an answer. So Pilate, not a good fella, okay, not a good bloke. So a group of Galileans, they go to the temple to sacrifice. Now, for some reason, they cheesed off Pilate. So what does he do? He slits their throat. He mixes their blood with the blood of their sacrifices. And the people come to Jesus and, and, and they tell him about this. And what does he say back to them? He says, do you think these Galileans, it's in, in verse 2, Jesus answered, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? And what does Jesus say to that? He says, no. I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. See, the point of suffering is not that the person deserves it, but rather highlights the need of all of us to, re to repent. You see, bad stuff happens in this world because the world is ruined. The world is ruined by sin. Now, people feel an outrage when bad stuff happens. You only have to listen to the news for 10 minutes to see how much bad stuff is happening. People feel outrage when a child dies, and they should. And even non-Christians feel this outrage. And I think it actually reveals a little window into our hearts. Deep down in our hearts, we know that's not how it's meant to be. And according to the Bible, it's not meant to be that way. Bad stuff happens because our world is ruined by sin not because of the person for whom it happens to. Suffering is God warning us, telling us to repent. Every time we see suffering, the message shouldn't be that we judge the person for whom something happens. 
to. The message to it should be our own need to repent and to turn to God. Now, I went to boarding school for a couple of years, and we had housemasters that were in charge of us, and then we had assistant housemasters. And uh, this was in Orange as well. And if you're in Orange and you were looking for young men above reproach to be assistant housemasters, you'd go to nowhere else than the Ag College. So that's where they went, and they'd get these, these young fellas and to be our assistant housemasters. Now, they were only a couple. I was in year 11 at that time. So these blokes are only a couple of years older than me. And, uh, and one of them, a bloke called Merrick, is, is a lifelong friend of mine. Now, anyway, one day we wanted to, uh, to get to him. So what we did, we went around all the house. This is back in the day before mobile phones. We collected everyone's alarm clock. Got everyone's alarm clock, so it would have been about 20 alarm clocks. When Merrick wasn't there, we broke into his room and we set these alarm clocks at 15-minute intervals starting at midnight. So at midnight, he's awoken by an alarm clock. So he thinks, what's that? And he wakes up and he finds the alarm clock. Goes back to bed, thought someone might have been playing a trick on him. Quarter past 12, he's awakened by an alarm clock. And half past 12, by the fourth one, he decided to turn the light on and just go through the whole room and find them. Every time an alarm clock went off, it was a reminder to him about how annoying the students in his care were. That was a reminder, a continual reminder. And suffering is meant to be a continual reminder to us as well. A continual reminder of our need to repent. Every time we hear about another sick child, we should know in our hearts that's not how it's meant to be. It shouldn't be this way and it should remind us to repent. Every time we hear of another diagnosis of cancer, we should remember that's not how it's meant to be. That's not the perfect world that God made and we should be reminded to repent. Every time we hear of war and a drug overdose and a fatal accident, we should remember that's not how it's meant to be. And we should remind ourselves of our need to repent and to trust in Jesus. Now, those listening to Jesus' story pretty much wanted to put the focus of these events on the people that had suffered. Okay, so the, the tower, verse 4, or those 18 who died when the tire of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Because the inference for a lot of people thought was, yes, they were more guilty. That's why it happened to them. But Jesus says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. See, they wanted to focus on what the people who it happened to had done, where Jesus turns it around and makes it about us. It makes it about the people listening. He says in, in, in verse 3 and in verse 5, he says exactly the same thing. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then in verse 5 again to the other story. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Jesus makes it very clear that the lesson from suffering is repentance. Repentance. You see, God loves us so much, so much that he wants to give us a second chance. Like holding your first child in your arms or your first nephew in your, or niece in your arms or your first grandchild in your arms or your friend's child in your arms and you look at that child and you think, this is how it's meant to be. But then what happens? The world they grow up in is not perfect. The message of repentance is this, that we need to turn to Jesus. Sorry, the message of suffering is this, to turn to Jesus. But what does it mean to repent? Well, back in the day when I hadn't visited Sydney too much, uh, I got lost. I used to get lost occasionally. But I had a theory when you got lost, you did one of two things. You just find someone and follow them because chances are they knew where they were going. So you'd, you'd end up somewhere better than where you were. 
um, or you would uh, just look for a major road. And once you're on a major road, you'd be right. So I was out in the western suburbs of Sydney. I can't even remember what I was doing, and I got lost in uh, old Skyline. It was night. I didn't know which way I was going. I didn't know where it was, the destination I had to get to. And I found a major road, so I went down the major road. There was only one problem with the major road. That was actually the exit ramp from the M4. Now, as soon as I realised that I was going down that main road, the exit ramp the wrong way, what did I do? I turned around. I turned around. And that is what it is to repent. To repent is simply to turn around. Instead of living our lives walking away from God, it's to turn around and go towards him. That's what it is. That's what it means to repent. The word repent in the Bible. Repent and believe the good news, Jesus tells us. The great news that we can be friends with God. So what is repentance? Instead of sticking our finger up at God, it's going towards him. But what does repentance look like in our lives? I want to tell you a story to illustrate what repentance does not look like. Towards the end of uh, my rugby career, I was playing rugby in Sydney and we went to Canberra uh, to play in a sevens tournament. And I was out for dinner uh, with, with the boys and as it turns out, we all just stopped at different places along this food place and uh, I was sitting down talking to this one bloke. And anyway, in the course of the conversation, he tells me he's a Christian. I thought, oh, cool. There's, uh, there's another Christian in my team. There were, there were actually a few others in that team. But anyway, uh, he tells me he's a he was a Christian. So we're just chatting about that. Then this other young boy comes along and says to him, he says, can you tell me how to pick up a girl for a one-night stand? So this other bloke tells him. He explains to him how, how he'd try and pick up a girl for a one-night stand. And then that young bloke left and I said to the bloke, I'm confused. You said you were a Christian. You said you were a follower of Jesus. How, how, does, how do you reconcile that with, with the, that behavior and, and telling other people's to do, people to do it. And he said to me, it's okay. I'll go to church on Sunday and repent. That's not repentance. That is fake religion. And God hates fake religion, especially when it's done in his name. Treating God like a monopoly get out of free jail card is rubbish. When God wants repentance... He doesn't want us to do religious acts. He wants our heart. That's what repentance looks like. In the Old Testament, God, uh, God instituted a sacrificial system. Now, the sacrificial system was never meant to allow people to earn their way to God or to think they could buy favor with him. The sacrificial system was meant to be to remind them of their need to trust in him. But a lot of people distorted it to mean other things. But David, in, in Psalm 51, he's Sorry, Psalm 51, his great prayer of repentance, he sums it up when he says this. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God wants us to come to him in repentance with a broken heart and plead for mercy and he will never turn us away. Repentance is not meant to be a religious act. It's meant to be about coming to God, admitting his supremacy and our inadequacy, recognizing his authority and our failure, his power and our weakness. Now, this message of repentance, this message of repentance is, uh, is not a popular message. Um, just ask uh, Israel Folau about that. In early April, he, he put an Instagram post up that, uh, and, that changed his life and to a lesser degree, but certainly so my life as well. 
Um, now, I don't know Israel Folau. I know a lot of people that do know him. And everybody that I know that has spoken about him speaks incredibly highly um, about, his, about his character and his genuine concern um, for other people. Now, in his Instagram post, he uh, paraphrased and he quoted from the Bible. And he called on 20 groups of people he, to repent, which accounts for 100% of the population. Now, to some people who read his post, that's not the word that they saw. The only word that they saw was the word homosexual. And a few saw the other H word, hell. But if you wanted to summarise Israel's post, it actually wasn't about those two H words. What it was about was this one word, this word repentance. And the 20 groups of people that he called on to repent is the whole bang lot of us, him included. But the message of repentance is connected with the little H word. It's connected with this word hell. Not a very popular word in our day and age. But we need to be really clear on this. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there. People choose to reject the kindness and mercy and love of God. People choose to stick their middle finger up at God, either actively or passively, deliberately, or just pretending he doesn't exist. And eventually God, like a father with a broken heart, will grant them the request. What Israel Folau said, he said in love, even though a lot of people think he said it for opposite reasons. Is it possible to use the little H word in a loving way? Is it possible to talk about hell in a loving way? Well, my reading of the Bible is this, that Jesus is the kindest man that ever existed. He was tough, but he was also tender. He was the most loving man that ever existed. But yet he spoke of this place. He spoke of, of, of wanting people, urging them to trust in him, to repent and to come to him. See, to warn someone of danger is a loving thing. But as much as we can always do it within relationship, I think it'll be more effective. But see, time is limited. After Jesus gives his answer here, he tells them a little parable. This is what he says. And I think this parable, when we, when we look at parables, more often than not, we just read them in context and, and the meaning becomes quite obvious. So Jesus told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Because in the soil he, he had a vineyard. He didn't want this fig tree that didn't, didn't produce anything. Sir, the man replied, and here we see someone begging for that for that fig tree. Leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Growing up at the house, the house I grew up in, we had two grapevines, a good one and a bad one. You see, the good one had grapes on it. The bad one was an ornamental. I could never understand what the point of an ornamental grapevine is. To me, it was just useless. A waste of soil, a waste of of water. Often have kids at school um, over the years have said to me, can I repent just before I die and go to heaven? And the answer is yes. 
if your repentance is genuine, it doesn't make a difference whether you do it two seconds before you die or 50 years before you die. But that question in itself reveals something. It assumes that God's way isn't best. It assumes that we know what's best for us rather than our Heavenly Father who made us. And the other obvious thing is you don't know when you're going to die. See, the time between now and when we die is the only time we have to repent. Time is limited. And I think in this parable, that's, that's the point. The time for repentance is now. And as Christians, we should continue to live a life of repentance where we're recognizing God's supremacy and our inadequacy. But the time we have is limited. Now, September the 11th, 2001 is a day that um, most people with any age on them would remember. The day when two planes flew into the World Trade Center. There was a man on an aeroplane the day before this. And he noticed a, uh, a stewardess having some trouble breaking up some ice. And uh, he offered to help. And they got into a conversation. Anyway, the conversation uh, progressed and they chatted for a while. And then this lady gladly accepted a Christian tract from this man. The lady came back a little bit later and said, this is the sixth one of these that I've received in the last few weeks. What does God want with me? The man replied, he wants you to repent. He wants your life. He wants you to trust in Jesus, to come to him for the forgiveness of your sins. That lady was on the first plane that crashed in the World Trade Center the next day. What does God want with our lives? He wants us to repent. He wants us to trust him. And he wants us as Christians to live lives that reflect the great generosity that he has to us. That reflect, reflect the, the fact that we do not deserve anything he gives us. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. In 2 Peter it tells us this, that God doesn't want anyone to perish. But he wants everyone to come to repentance. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us, that you are a God who offers us a second chance. We thank you that Jesus died to pay the price for our sins. Please help us to live a life worthy of this fact. Please help us to continually live our lives as lives of repentance and to represent you well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.